This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. If you'd like to, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. You can follow along with me with some things that we're going to talk about this morning. And we want to start in Luke chapter 1 this morning because it, it has to do with the birth of Jesus. And I don't know if you know this or not. Hopefully you do. But uh, this is one of the miracles. There are a few. And this is one of the miracles that your salvation depends on. If there was no virgin birth, there is no salvation. Because the virgin birth was the, the, the necessary way, necessary means for God to overcome or uh, go around the spiritual death that was ruling mankind. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. So death, spiritual death, not physical death, but spiritual death, passed upon all men. If Jesus was not free from spiritual death, then he was not a righteous sacrifice. His ability to be free from sin hinged on two things. First of all, he had to be born free from sin, born apart from the spiritual death that passed upon man that came down through Adam's transgression in the Garden of Eden. And then secondly, he had to live a life of sin, uh, live a life free from sin, a sinless life on his own. Well, if Jesus lived a sinless life, as every Christian in every church that I know of that believes in Jesus uh, agrees, but he did not, but he was not born outside the law of sin and death or spiritual death that passed upon man because of Adam, then he still was subject to sin. He could not have been a righteous sacrifice. So I want to talk to you about uh, this. Uh, in, in my opinion, the, um, uh, there's a very um, close similarity, very close comparison between the creation of the universe and Jesus' birth. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 1 and about verse... Uh, oh, where do we want to start here? I don't want to read the whole story. Um, well, I guess we better start with verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. 
Now, there are a lot of things that we could talk about this morning. I don't want to get bogged down and spend too much time with any one because I've got several that I'd like to mention, several miracles of Jesus that I'd like to mention this morning. But, uh, but there are a couple of things that I think uh, uh, are worthy of our attention. First of all, you know as well as I do that Jesus' birth was foretold or the Messiah's coming was foretold, uh, even down to the virgin birth and him serving or being given the throne of his, uh, David the king and so forth for hundreds of years, well over a thousand years, frankly. And there are 400 and some odd scriptures, uh, words of prophecy in the Old Testament that are relative to the coming of Jesus. So the only reason I point that out is to say that everybody would have to acknowledge that this was God's plan from the beginning. Wouldn't you? I mean, here is something that God has planned. He's ordained. He's set aside. He's purposed. I don't know what other words to use, but this is God's intent from the very beginning. The Bible says Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. So when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Gethsemane, or I'm sorry, the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a surprise to God. He knew what was going to happen before it happened. And he made a plan for redemption even before there was a need for redemption. Even before there was a man who would need to be redeemed was created. So this is God's plan from the very beginning. Yet it takes the consent of the individual. God intended this from the beginning. But Mary has to consent to it. And notice she does so in verse 38. She says, be it unto me according to your word or even as you've spoken. Well, there was nothing that became something in Mary's womb. The angel said in verse 35 that the Holy Ghost would overshadow her, but there was nothing that would create a baby. And then all of a sudden there was something. Why? Well, because God willed it. But again, Mary had to consent. What I want you to see something, folks, and you're going to see this theme running throughout some of the miracles that we talk about this morning. There are physical laws of nature. In, in her case, as a virgin, the law of nature would be it's impossible for her to have a child because there's no sperm to fertilize an egg. But the word of God can bend the laws of nature. The word of God can bend the laws of nature. Let's look at another one. Look with me over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 tells us about Jesus in the early days of his ministry. We'll start reading in verse 1. It said, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, this is Peter, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Verse 4, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought or a catch. And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. In other words, Peter is saying, we're fishermen. We know how this works. You're not supposed to fish in the day. You're supposed to fish at night. The reason for it is because the fish can see the net in the daylight. That's why you fish at night. Then the fish swim into the net, you catch the fish, and it works. We worked all night, and it didn't work, though. Now you're telling us to fish at the wrong time of day. 
Folks, I want you to understand something. God will sometimes tell you to fish in the wrong way. So he said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch of fish. Peter said, Master. Now he's listened to him preach. The chronology of this is a little bit difficult for us because if you put Matthew's account together with um, Luke's account, it, it, there's an indication, at least the implication, that the previous day Jesus has healed his mother-in-law. That this occurs just after Matthew 8 where it tells us about Jesus going into Peter's house. His mother-in-law was sick with a fever and he healed her. This could be the very next day. Many Bible scholars believe that it is. So he says, Master, we've toiled all the night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless. See, many Bible scholars say this is because of the healing of his mother-in-law the day before. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, let's go into the fishing business together. (laughs) That would make sense, wouldn't it? Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the drought or catch of the fishes which they had taken. Now, I want you to notice again, here's a miracle that takes place. There's a miraculous result, a miracle of business, a financial miracle that takes place. You know as well as I do that Peter's in the fishing business for the purpose of catching fish and selling them. So he knows, just like Jesus knows, that there is an end result of this catch of fish that Jesus has in mind, and that is for Peter to make a lot of money. I'm glad God's not against you making a lot of money. I know the church may be, but God's not against you making a lot of money. Matter of fact, he'll show you how when your heart's in the right place. If that's not the picture that we're supposed to get from this, I don't know what what is. Now, why did this miracle take place? Because God intended it? Because God willed it? Well, in one sense, yeah. Jesus certainly was willing to reward Peter for having given Jesus the use of his boat. But it was dependent on Peter. In the same way that God willed for Jesus to be born of a virgin and had one picked out named Mary, it still depended on her. She had to consent. She had to accept Peter had to consent and accept what the will of God was as expressed by his word. And both of them say almost exactly the same thing. Be it unto me, even as you've spoken is what Mary said. Peter said, at your word, I'll let down the net. Folks, I want you to understand something. That the laws of nature, this physical world that we think is so solid, so set in stone, so precise. And it is in the way that it operates and the laws that govern it this world that is so exact those laws which we think can never be broken are easily bent by this thing called faith join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6pm for our weekly healing school 
Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Matthew chapter 14, the first part of the chapter tells us about the beheading of John the Baptist, how that Jesus uh, was sad and pulled apart, but the, the, the multitudes found out where he was. And verse 14, it says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. These are the folks that, that followed him where they heard that he went. And he went to, to, to be by himself to grieve John's death. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. Moved with compassion. The word compassion is the word mercy. You've got a lot of people in the church world that say that healing's been done away with. It doesn't work the same way now. Jesus healed because he was the son of God, and it doesn't, doesn't happen that way now. But please notice, Jesus didn't heal him because he was the son of God. He healed him because he was moved with mercy. You ever heard anybody say the mercy of God's been done away with? No, and you never will. Because the mercy of God is what everything depends on. The mercy of God is what salvation hinges on. God didn't have to save mankind. He did because of his mercy. Not only that, but the Bible says over and over and over again, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Well, I wonder about his healing mercy. When did that run out? It hasn't. He's just as merciful to heal the sick today as he is when he was here on the earth. And when it was evening, verse 15, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. And Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give them, give ye them to eat. Now, please notice the first thing Jesus said. Jesus did not say, I will feed them. He said, you feed them. Folks, this does not hinge on Jesus being the son of God. Or if it did, if it does, if this miracle hinges on Jesus being the Son of God, then Jesus tricked these guys. Now, if Jesus is a trickster, how is he a righteous sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice for us? If Jesus is going around being a partner to a fraud, then how is it that he's a worthy sacrifice for mankind? Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, couple of questions. Is Jesus saying you give them something to eat to show them that they can't? Or is Jesus saying you give them something to eat to try to indicate to them you have power you don't know you have? I don't think it can be the first one. And Jesus would be honest. But I believe with all my heart it was the second one. I wonder if that's true for us. There certainly wasn't anything special about the, the disciples. My goodness, even we could have made that group.
This group wants to turn away. As soon as Jesus goes to the cross, the whole group wants to turn away. They go back to fishing. So there's nothing special about them in and of themselves. So what is he saying? You give them something to eat. I believe with all my heart that Paul prayed specifically by the Holy Ghost in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we'd know what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us. If we ever figured that out, if we ever came to the understanding of what the exceeding greatness of the power of God that resides within us really is and what, what it really can do, man, oh man, oh man. In fact, I believe that will be the very thing that happens right at the last days just before Jesus comes back. I believe that's what will cause the great uh, revival, the precious fruit of the earth to come forth that the Bible says Jesus is waiting for. That's the only thing it says he's waiting for. There's never been a time in the history of the world that, 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 that nothing else has to be done historically, politically, any other way. Scripturally, there is not one thing way, hindering Jesus from coming back. He could come back as soon as he wanted to come back. Yet the Bible says there's one thing he's waiting for, and that's the precious fruit of the earth. That's it. Never been a time in the history of the world that that was true. But that's true today. Live ready. So he says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. Did Jesus know how much they had before he said what he did? There's no indication. If you look at the different gospel accounts of this, one account says uh, that uh, Mark's account, I believe it is Mark chapter 6, verse 30, Jesus uh, says to the disciples, uh, something about giving them the, giving the crowd food. And uh, one of them says, where would we buy enough food to feed this crowd? There's not a grocery store big enough. Costco is closed. There's nowhere to get enough food. So they certainly don't see any, any possibilities. And then Jesus asks them, what do you have? In this case, they just volunteered. But in other gospel accounts, it says different things. But not one of them says or indicates that they had already told Jesus what they had before he said what he did. So without any knowledge of what was available, Jesus said, you can do this. Folks, if that was true for them, it's true for you and me. So whatever your situation is and whatever you're complaining to the Lord about how bad it is, you need to realize the principle is you can do this. Yeah, but I don't have five loaves and two fishes. Oh, well, that changes everything then. And Jesus said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And lightning flashed from heaven. And there was a great earthquake. In other words, Jesus said the blessing over the food. Just like you and I do. Well, like I do. I hope you do. He just said the blessing over the food. Where's the lightning flash? How did they multiply? 
We don't know. And the Holy Ghost didn't see fit to tell us anything special about the multiplication process. It just happened. Now, somebody asked me a question. How do five loaves and two fishes multiply to such an amount that feeds 5,000 men? Could be 15,000 people, women and children included. It says it's 5,000 men. If Jesus' crowds are anything like crowds today, usually the women and the children outnumber the men two to one. So it could be somewhere 15, maybe, 15, maybe 20,000 people. How did five loaves and two fishes grow and multiply to feed five to 20,000 people? You pick the number you want. I don't really care. And then have 12 basketfuls of food left over. How does that happen? What happened to cause that to take place? Clearly something was made out of nothing. How did that happen? And why did it happen? Because there was a need for it. And Jesus recognized that the power of God was available to meet the need. What do you have? Whatever you have is enough to multiply. Yeah, but I don't have enough. That's why you need things to increase. Again, there's no special ritual taking place here. There's no sacrifice taking place on the top of the hill that causes this to happen. There's no burning of incense. There's no special thing, special event, special activity that takes place that causes the face of God to smile upon these people in this one specific situation. Let's just thank God. Verse 20, and they did all eat and were filled and took up the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. Folks, there's something else about this story that I think is often overlooked, and that is Jesus doesn't waste anything. He gives you more than enough, but he doesn't waste anything. If you're a waster, you better change that if you expect God's blessing to operate in your life. Jesus was not a waster. Now, the question then has to be asked, what did he do with the 12 baskets full? What did Jesus do with anything he had? He gave to other people. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Here's another one. Goes right to another one. And straightway Jesus constrains his disciples to get into a ship to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the wind, or tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it is a spirit and they cried out for fear but straightway jesus spake unto them saying be of your cheer it is i be not afraid have you ever noticed god has never in one in any context ever showed up no angel has ever showed up no emissary from god has ever showed up and said be afraid god always says fear not Fear not. Why? But, there, but Pastor Mike, there are legitimate things in the world to be afraid of. Yeah, there are. Unless you know that the law of faith can bend the laws of nature. If you know that, there's nothing to be afraid of. Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, I love this guy. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a nutcase sometimes. But you got to give him one thing. He's willing to jump out there. 
I'd rather have somebody that's willing to jump out there and pull them back a little bit and try to get somebody to, like, to push them like an old mule trying to get them out of the ditch. So when Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come to you on the water. And he said, come. Now notice Jesus' response. It is not Peter. God has ordained this event before you were born. This is a part of the plan and the purpose of God. Now Peter said, I want to come to do that too. You'll never find but one thing that Jesus said that he could do that nobody else could do, and that's go to the cross. You remember James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, I want you to let my kids sit on your right and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, are they able to drink of the cup that I drink? He's talking about the cross. She didn't have any idea what was going on. So she said, oh, yeah. And he said, well, they will enter into my persecution. But the place you're asking for is not mine to give. That's the only thing you'll ever find that Jesus said only he could do and nobody else could do. Everything else Jesus did, he said, go do the same thing. Everything else. Which tells us it's not about Jesus being the son of God. Which tells us that the, the, the things that happened, the miracles that happened, didn't happen because Jesus was the son of God. They happened for one and only one thing, one reason, one cause, and that is faith in God's word. The Bible says we have the same spirit of faith. First uh, Corinthians 4.13 says we have the same spirit of faith as Jesus. See, most people look at, uh, at, at the people themselves. They look at Jesus and say, well, yeah, sure, Jesus could believe. Yeah, sure, Jesus could do miracles. But Jesus said himself, it's not me that's doing them. It's the Father in me that does it. Now, how is the Father in him? Is the Father in him any different than, he, than the Father is in you? No. Jesus had the life of God. He was born of the Spirit of God, just like you're born of the Spirit of God. He had the same work of the Holy Spirit in him that you have in you. See, faith is like the electrical current in your house. Anybody can plug into it any time they want to. See, it's not the individual. It's the faith that you plug into. Faith's like a river. Anybody can jump in your choice you can stand on the side of the riverbank and say well i just don't understand these people jumping in the river and having all the fun they're having i just don't understand god just doesn't want the same things for everybody you know or you can jump in it's not the person other than the than the choice that's made it's the faith that you're tapping into that's how you can have the same fear the spirit of faith as jesus had You've got the same spirit of faith. You have the same faith that Jesus used to raise the dead. You have the same faith that Jesus used to, to do miracles. To cause the blind to see and the lame to walk. You have the same spirit of faith. It's exactly the same faith. Why? Because faith is based on the word and the word never changes. The unchangeable part is God's word. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. But let me ask you a question. Is the lack of feeling faith the absence of faith? When I feel like my faith is the strongest, that's when I'm the weakest. 
because I'm going by my feelings. But when I feel the weakest in faith, that's when I'm the strongest. Because then all I've got is His Word. Thank God for His Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.